0: The Song Confessional Podcast is a co-production of KUT, KUTX Studios, and Good Taste
1: Society. This is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to... Are you ready? Song. Song. Confessional. I don't know right off (laughs) page. Let me explain to you what we do here at the song confessional. So we collect recordings of people telling us stories anonymously. We, we travel to music festivals, we travel to events, we do private events. We have a permanent confessional booth here in Austin, Texas at hotel Magdalena. We have another permanent confessional booth, uh, at the Mishawaka in, well, near Fort Collins, Colorado. And people tell us all sorts of stories, We sift through them We find our favorite ones And we give them to songwriters and bands Who write and record an original song Based on that confession On this podcast You'll hear the confession You'll hear the song and inspired In an interview with the songwriter I'm sitting here with my favorite River Man River Tell them your name I I was really thinking you were going to say, like, your favorite griever, (laughs) so I'll take river. (laughs) My name is Zach. Oh, too real. (laughs) Um, Man, man, Zach, yeah, This this, this confession today in this song, it deals with grief. It deals with rivers. Our unofficial favorite topic on this podcast, apparently. Yeah, I think grief, God, grief might be our unofficial favorite topic. Um, It is a doozy, but he is one hell of a confessor, and there's just so much to get through. Before we get there, though, let's talk about our artist today, Pom Pom Squad.
0: Yeah, Pom Pom Squad is from New York. It's the songwriting project of Mia Barron. Put out a record called Death of a Cheerleader on City Sling that's been blowing up. They've been touring constantly on it. Um, you've probably seen their name around. If you haven't heard their music yet, you're going to.
1: So when we worked with Mia and the rest of her band at South Byte, they were just about to start their tour behind Death of a Cheerleader. And when I actually uh, interviewed her a couple weeks ago, from when you hear this in October, um, they played over a hundred shows yeah. all over the world. <laughs> Very, very different before or after. We talk a lot about what touring has been like for her and her band this year, um, but honestly, this this experience, just writing and recording the song, uh, was kind of hectic and a weird preview of uh, touring for an entire year in a way. So we we sat down to make this song. It was uh it was boyfriend, who who brought. Pom Squad 2 Song Confessionals. It was boyfriend. Uh, it was Mia, Jim, uh, and and me initially, before Mia's band came, before anyone else came by. And, you know, we all have these crazy South by schedules, right? So we were hoping to do this in a day. Uh, we started working, Mia left and went to a show, and then she came back. Uh, and then there was a COVID scare, so we had to do a second day. Love it. And then Jim had something with Spoon, so he had to leave. <laughs> and then I had something one evening, so I had to leave. So it ended up just being uh, Mia and her band in Grand Epley at the very end. I mean, it was really an all-hands-on-deck, South By insanity situation.
0: Which it always is, trying to throw something like this in the middle of South By. It's like South By is about playing live shows, first and foremost. Trying to write a new song. And on top of that, trying to collaboratively write a new song and record it in one day is a serious ask.
1: It's pretty remarkable that this song came together as well as it did and as quickly as it did, considering this confession. It's a doozy. It's a heavy one. It's, it, it's not presented heavy, but it's heavy. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, we we took this confession uh, at Art a festival in North Carolina, back in the fall of 2021. Um, it was at the end of a long day, mm-hmm. and well, we were
0: basically closing down. We didn't, yeah. think, we
1: didn't even think we were going to be taking any more confessions. And these two friends walk up, and they both confessed, and they were awesome. Yeah, you've
0: actually heard one of these friends' confessions before. That mm-hmm. Libby Rodenbow wrote a song to that
1: we released last year. Yeah. So here is kind of a part two to that in a way. Uh, So without further ado, here's our confession. Confession. Did you have something in mind that you wanted to uh, talk about? Yeah, I got a couple
2: of, I mean, there's, oh wow, already, already in a weird space. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, There's this divorce that I'm in the midst, well that I just finished or. (laughs) We can talk about your divorce if that's what's on your mind. I mean, you know, there's always lots of shit on people's minds. Um, or we can go uh, with the death of my father shortly before that marriage. <laughs> either one, like they're pretty inter, like they're reasonably interwoven. They're both real weird. Uh, I think you just had some nice family trauma, well, <laughs> based, based on <laughs> based on what I uh, heard from my friend as she walked out. But I think, uh, but we can tap into either, honestly.
1: Well. The thing, uh, I mean, you can just totally shut, since you're, since you're giving me the option here. Yeah. You just said that your the death of your father and your divorce are connected. I would say the death, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. So can I ask you some questions and you can maybe outline that? Yeah, 100%. Okay, so, so first off, I'm really sorry about your father. Yeah. And I'm sorry that you're going through a divorce, even if it's for the best. It's oh, just it's, a lot of grief. This is a sorry and congratulations moment for sure. I love that. Sorry, congratulations, no I got to write that down. Um, So how long ago did your father die?
2: My father, I buried my father one month before I was married. Um, So was he sick? He, so my father was a doctor, and doctors are dumb, you know, because they believe, they believe that they're invincible regardless regardless of the facts at hand. Yeah. And it was pretty it was pretty obvious to everybody else involved that he was deeply in the midst of dementia, and he, being a clever, wonderful, bright man, tested one point in the not dementia space on the test we finally coerced him into taking. Mm-hmm. And so the man had some pretty deep dementia. This was 2018's Thanksgiving. My father, three weeks before Thanksgiving, flies out for Thanksgiving. He wakes up one morning and he determines that he's late to be in Seattle for Thanksgiving. But he's not supposed to be there for three weeks. And he calls me from the airport Informing me that the airport had completely screwed up his flight and that he had just switched the flight and he was flying in that day And it was like I spent two hours at work on the phone fighting with a man deep in dementia About how there's no way he's flying. I'm busy. You're not coming for three weeks. Why did you change your flight? And I couldn't get through to him Mm -hmm. and that was the moment in which I realized that these little blips that had been occurring were real, like so real. Yeah. And he flies out and like, obviously the hotel doesn't have any information on him because he's three weeks early and he was there. This was November 2018. I'm I'm to be married in May of 2019. And he is there to meet my now ex-wife's uh, parents for the first time like <laughs> that was the goal you're coming in for Thanksgiving they're coming up from Bend you're coming in from Detroit you're gonna meet for the first time and he shows up three weeks early and completely misses it oh, wow. and he from November of 2018 until March of or maybe April, no, it was April of 2019 I'm, I'm to be married in May I am on constant high alert. I, my father is calling it erratic times. He is continually more confused. I'm. He's also just gone through his second divorce, and he is com- almost completely alone, and he is sequestering himself away from other people, and he's just in this really bad way. And it's the beginning of April, and I'm to be married in May, and I fly to uh to vegas for my bachelor party and my at that point fiance, soon-to-be wife current ex-wife has this incredibly major mental breakdown as i land in the airport in las vegas and i have to talk her down from a somewhat suicidal mentality and i get through that and I get talked to a calm place by my friends and like, I ensure that she's okay and I go and I have my bachelor party and I get back from my bachelor party to find out that my father has died. He has died in his home alone had been dead in his home for well over 48 hours. He had somehow no, but I have no idea what, but something happened in the bathroom that caused the toilet to overflow and then that door was shut and maybe locked. I wasn't there to find those details out. But the the bathroom had flooded and he was dead a room over. And his dementia had ensured that he hadn't renewed the home insurance. And so all of our childhood memories and all of my dead mother's paintings and all of the objects he's ever owned that, and all of the minutia of my life... Was destroyed in the flood that somehow my father had maybe caused, Ugh. and so I get back from this bachelor party and I find this out, and I have a mental breakdown, and have to book a flight to Detroit, and I have to coordinate with my brother in Chicago, and he is a my brother is lovely, but he is not. As competent. He's great. He's a great person, but like, he doesn't have a car. He doesn't know how to drive. He's just he's just like he was a reasonable support, but wasn't able to move himself about even. So I had to do all of the heavy lifting of the entire experience. And I bring this woman, my current fiance, soon to be wife, current ex wife with me to sort through the wet detritus of my father's home. Oh God! And I need to hold it all together because like, we're going to bury my father in a day or two. And we need to go through all of this wet stuff. And also, I don't want to be dealing with any of this. And that moment of pushing her to help me was the last moment in which I really got this is an exaggeration, but it, it hurts. And I don't know a better way to put it. Yeah, just got a lot of help from her. This moment in which she exerted herself to go through these things led to a giant chasm that existed between us nearly forevermore. And the reality is that after our marriage, that doesn't, that's no longer on her agenda, but not in a way we ever speak of. And as we get divorced a year and a half later, I learned that the reason that she didn't make that space was that because she overexerted herself helping me with my father's death, she couldn't connect with me. And so that moment where this overexertion of me having to manage the death of my father in a way like paints the walls of this marriage not the white color I was hoping for, but this off white, this subtle incorrect mm-hmm.
1: is how they're deeply connected. First off you're before the bachelor party. Yeah. You said that you, she had like, um, an episode.
2: Uh, yeah. Where she it was had a almost pretty... suicidal,
1: which, which we, we don't yeah. necessarily have to. Oh get no. Into, but, but like, like if we, wanna, if we want to,
2: if we want to go hard, yeah. um, It seems like it's impossible to love a woman that isn't your mother. And that's a weird fucking sentence. But my life has been painted with this picture of important women in my life are deeply, deeply depressed. Mm. Um, My mother, as a result of the divorce she had between my father and her, pretty much didn't leave the bed between the time I was 13 and the time I was 20. Um, there were some moments of brightness, but I would say 75% of the year was spent crying in bed. Wow. And it culminates in a call before my 21st birthday where we plan for her to come to my college town and drink wine with me only for 48 hours later for me to find out that she's overdosed on some pill and killed herself.
1: Oh mm, my God.
2: And so this mentality exists, this pattern of belief exists within me that a woman's sadness is inseparable from suicide, that sadness is a perpetual, never-ending stream within a woman. And that's, I know that's like weirdly chauvinistic and it's in this space that like, is not the way I truly think about women, but it's the way that my brain has processed so much. Yeah. And I've been in this relationship for what had then at that point been four and a half years with a woman who was wildly depressed and had a number of suicidal episodes throughout her life. And so she's in this space before my bachelor party. And I, I like, let her know, like, hey, landed in Vegas, gonna have a great bachelor party, and I get back some, I don't know, the. I certainly haven't gone back to look for the precise words of this text, mm-hmm. but I receive a text that informs me that not only is she not doing well, but that the world is ending, and that that she doesn't know when she'll ever not be sad again, and is like deeply stoking these flames. And so I call her to like figure out what's going on and try to calm her, but it's at a distance. And I know in my heart that trying to problem solve this problem isn't going to do anything. But I also know that women's sadness is perpetual and that it's going to end in suicide because of this pattern that my childhood has taught me. Mm -hmm. And I spend over an hour and a half trying to just talk her to a point of like reaching out to any other human being because She's only vulnerable with me. She doesn't share this suicidality, this sadness, this depression with the majority of the other support in her life. Yeah, And so I'm just trying to push her to a space where it's like, I need you to lean on another person. I need you to tap into another being. I need you to to let somebody else in because I'm in Vegas and I'm supposed to be celebrating some aspect of the joy we're about to have. And we've got appropriate levels of debauchery and appropriate levels of just shenanigans in place. This isn't like the, oh, like, last hurrah. It's like, oh, this is a celebration of me, right? It's like yeah. a me party totally. and not like that, like, well, let's like let's make sure you go get your dick wet one more
1: time before you're locked down, like. Yeah. Well, and so, like. It's it's the it's the part in the whole ritual where the people who love you get to celebrate just you, and and she's having this she's having an, an episode
2: that like fully brings me out of any celebration of myself. And you're so hardwired to be sensitive to it because of your childhood, because of my childhood, and because this pattern exists in my mind, and it exists so deeply in my mind that it's, I mean therapy can therapy can point it out therapy can help me get to a point where I can deal better with it but when you have a deep dark difficult pattern embedded in your heart and the woman you love is expressing that pattern to the T it's wildly difficult to talk yourself down from an overreaction if it was even an overreaction yeah. it was certainly a reaction
1: yeah yeah and well and I imagine also at this point too, you you know as a child who witnessed your mother unravel after your parents divorce you know you don't you can't um, you don't want to let the woman you love down who's suicidal and depressed
2: because it sort of puts it in this way that's never true it's never true that love will fix anything you know yeah but that doesn't mean that we don't all try that we don't live this deep dark dumb romantic gesture when we're like, Oh, when a woman is like, Oh, I can fix him. And when a man is like, Oh, my love will help you out of this depression. Like it's bullshit. And it's also implausible to get around no matter how rational one thinks they are, because the emotion mind is just so loud that we can do this. And like, I, and this moment and this feeling can fix everything. And not that love isn't beautiful, but love isn't magic. It's not a band aid. It's not a panacea, right? Like these yeah. problems will exist whether or not love is there.
1: We have some more ground to cover. Okay. I don't doubt it. Father. Okay. Okay. So, so your father passes away. Yeah. And you also lose all of the your childhood home, which is so awful that that those things are coupled. Did, were you able to recover any of the stuff from the house, or was it all just waterlogged and There's, ruined?
2: So my mother's paintings were in a room. So my mother became an artist when she was pregnant with me, and my my first tattoo is uh, that is on my foot. It's her signature taken off of one of my favorite versions of her paintings, and the year I was born. And so I'm a signed piece of her artwork, and her artwork is something that is important to me, and the room in the basement with all of her paintings is the only carpeted room and it as a result of being the carpeted room the carpet has absorbed just enough water that just some of the frames have gotten wet none of the artwork has so the the frames are saved but every almost every other object is destroyed there are a few boxes that exist in a storage unit in Michigan that contain a few things but i haven't been back in two years I'm still paying for this storage unit and at some point I need to drive across the country and gather those things and bring them closer to me but the goal at that moment was to get to Michigan get the house into a state where I never have to look or see it again put my father in the ground and get the fuck out of Michigan because yeah. holy fuck
1: yeah holy fuck so, so you, you literally bury your last parent you do is, I mean, and also when you, when, I think when (laughs) parents die, like you the idea that you have to process all that stuff at once, like all of their things too, that's like
2: Right, because it's not like, I feel like in a normal quote unquote a normal situation, like the house is fine, right? It's like, I can just pay the mortgage on the house with or whatever, right? Like Mm -hmm. there was theoretically and like eventually money, like we could have done that if the house existed. So this happened a month before your wedding. My father is put in the ground a month to the day before I get married. Jesus Christ! So your wedding
1: was without any uh, revisionist history. I mean, I would was say it a joyous day. It was a beautiful wedding. It was
2: it was a space. I recently sat down and reread my vows to my therapist. Uh, it the world has happened. There's a new therapist in the midst of some COVID things and some, some, my my other therapist like just had a child. So I I was blessed with a new therapist, which means that she didn't know all of the nuances, which is actually pretty great Mm -hmm. because I got to sit and read my vows to my therapist and they are probably one of the most beautiful pieces of writing I've ever written. And, as I'm sitting there and I read them and I'm just on the verge of tears to my therapist, she looks at me and she goes, how did you learn to love so hard? And it was like beautiful. Like, like my vows were beautiful. Her vows were beautiful. The wedding went, I mean, there were some hitches, but they weren't crazy hitches. It's a wedding, right? It's a big party. Something goes wrong. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. It was a good time with all of our friends. Um, We got lots of great, what felt like great compliments, but who knows If wedding compliments are real, right? Like, I have no idea. Like, people tell you, like, oh, that was the most this. And, like, I took a lot of that to heart. And then also I'm like, but it was also, like, this big, expensive, wonderful party we brought you to. Like, who knows if you're telling the truth, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Right? And so it's hard to parse out the reality of things. Not that I think that friends are phony and not that it wasn't beautiful, but like, you know, you don't ever know if it's like resonating on like the level it should, or like a deeper level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's fine. But it was a, it was a beautiful wedding and we went and we had like a mini moon and that was like hard. Like we ended up on a, on a, a couple of reasonable fights and she had a little breakdown midway through and it was just hard and it was I was like, fine. Like we had a father death and we had this other moment where you had this big breakdown and like all these things are happening, like maybe it'll get better. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic comes around and I get laid off. And just before this, she's like pseudo laid off. And I'm trying to connect with her in this space in which we're forced to be together. And she is just constantly pulling away. And I lose my job and like we're financially solvent, we're great, but like I'm in this space where I'm feeling so alone and so inadequate, like I'd I'd never lost a job before and there's no space on her end to care or be compassionate and there's this, this perpetual motion to even though we're trapped in this house in quarantine, wouldn't it be better if she just spent all day in another room and I just tried not to interact with her Mm -hmm. isn't, isn't touching my back for a couple of minutes before bed enough interaction. Like we see each other all the time and it's like, none of this time that we're getting is connective. None of this time is even is like, we're not even having passive time together. We're just, you're retreating into yourself and I'm desperately seeking love and connection and validation. Mm -hmm. And it, it just starts to continually tear us apart.
1: And and so, I mean, you just got a divorce, right?
2: Yeah. It so November of 2020, mm-hmm. uh, October, I mean, we're going through couples therapy in September and October.
1: Yeah. And how is that? And, and is this where you kind of learned? Words that's the where dynamic i make you're describing you've just described like
2: yeah that's where i learned the statement that she made that my father's death prevented her from connecting with me and i come up with a list of things that i need out of a relationship where i need to be valued and cared about and like what seemed like a pretty reasonable list and i get back the fact that she's uncertain if she can do those things And I'm informed at that moment, too, that she's a lesbian. And that's fine. Like, we're allowed to... Everybody can have their own sexuality, but it puts it into a space where it goes from a space where I think we're doing recoverable work to a space where it's obvious that we can't. Yeah. And in the midst of September and October, we're also having this conversation about, like, am I even coming to Thanksgiving? And those words come out in late October and it comes to the point where it's like, Hey, if you can't love me and be attracted to me, like we can't do this and I'm not coming to Thanksgiving and like, this is over. Yeah. And she moves out in November and it seems like things are going to be reasonable and amicable. And then it moves throughout the months and She is just so hurt that eventually in and we we file for divorce in February and things take a while. But but as of July, we've been divorced. But in the midst of that time frame between like February and July, we end up trying to communicate and connect even in the slightest that ends in one day her telling me to fuck off and slamming the door. And we haven't spoken since. Wow. And it's this space where six years of what I thought was love and connection just feel so, I mean, they're all lost, you know, and they're all lonely and they're all replaced with the emptiness of this home full of her memories. And it's, it's fucking hard.
1: Yeah, man. That's, that sounds like that couldn't be anything but hard right now. <laughs> and, and I'm sure, I mean, the, just the way grief goes, it's, how can your letting go of this relationship not be tied with your father? Right, and it's all like I was grieving one thing,
2: and then I learned that this thing that was supposed to be a happiness is is actually also a deep grief, and there's these layers of grief upon grief and loss upon loss, and mm-hmm. I was really excited to become part of her family, and now that is not as there and like the destruction and loss of it's all just this big it's this big
1: cluster yeah and now here's river by pom-pom squad
0: I really have no idea why, but for some reason, that song really makes me feel like I'm watching a montage of female revenge about to happen. Like, did you ever see that movie enough? Jennifer Lopez, like early 2000s, maybe even late 90s, probably early 2000s, but like basically just like I see her training to kick her dirtbag X's ass or something like that it's like the perfect soundtrack to that kind of montage uh of revenge i don't know why that's just like gives me that feeling
1: that 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 song the, the first thing i cue in every time i hear it is that's boyfriend's voice uh at the top it's mm-hmm. a vocal loop of her voice uh and i just think about i just that was literally the first thing that the the whole track started from that and so she she did that and then uh i put some chords under it I found some chords that mia liked um and then they just sort of set off Mm -hmm. you know but it's cool to hear a song that's the built on so many loops like that you know like there's a vocal loop there's a there's an acoustic guitar loop there's the Rhodes keyboard loop um but it goes up and down a ton.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was about to say to add to that. I feel like you, if you didn't know, you could easily not realize that it's a
1: bunch of loops because
0: it's so well layered and stacked, how things move in and out. It it feels very linear. It
1: reminds me of, uh, that Led Zeppelin song, uh, uh, babe, I'm going to leave you. Great. Yeah. It's just that a minor descending chord pattern like the whole time, but it, you know, you get the you get all sides of Zeppelin in one song. Yeah, even when it gets like
0: harder in double time, it's, it's that guitar it's still the is same. Still chords. There. Yeah, yeah, the the bass is still there.
1: Yeah. You know, there were so many ways for her to I I, I think that the, the theme of this confession was definitely grief and uh and loss. And there were so many ways to like go with that you know, like you could have taken this and made it just like hyper-specific mm-hmm. and tried to somehow weave grand, uh, parent and significant other, you know, those ending at the same time. Um, I just think that fucking lyric is incredible. You know, like to make a river out of me. Mm-hmm. It's just so evocative. And I think it it, it captures what, grief does to you which is like it kind of undoes you you know mm-hmm. better than it's just such, it's
0: just an incredible lyric and you think of a flow of a river too it's like it widens and moves slow it narrows and gets compressed and moves fast sometimes there's a dam and you're completely blocked and the dam breaks i mean it's like that is an incredible analogy yeah. through the mo- motions of grief and then like eventually you hope that you're released into the ocean
1: yeah there's a there's a judith butler essay Um, where she talks about grief and how when you grieve, like the boundaries of your personhood. So what you consider yourself are really blurred with the outside world, whether it's because, whether it's because it's tragic and you're victimized in, in that sense of like your, your sense of control and autonomy of yourself is just fucked or because you are so visibly going through something that you can't control it so it's like grief grief in that way like you know it 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 blurs it blurs our sense of personhood in that way that can be a really positive beautiful thing for a human to experience even though the experience itself is negative at the time mm-hmm. and i don't i just think that it makes a river out of me like it just captures that it does. that sense of like you're just complete and total lack of control over what's happening which is part of life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I just think the lyric's incredible. Yeah, it's a beautiful lyric. Yeah. It really is. Zach, a little earlier, you were saying that you you kind of identify with the confessor. and I'm, I'm wondering if you can say it a little more what you were meaning.
0: Yeah, in a lot of weird ways. I mean, when I was in sixth grade, my dad got in a car accident that almost killed him. And as far as my memory tells me is like pretty much exactly when he was done healing from that. My mom got diagnosed with cancer lived through that all throughout high school, expecting her to die. Basically Mm -hmm. one year out of that was when the snowmobile accident happened that killed my father, almost killed my mother. Um, and then I also fell in love in the last year of my mom's life. You know, my wife and I met each other in that time while I was like grieving the loss of my mom, even though she hadn't actually passed yet. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just like a lot of, similarities I guess in that just long drawn out story of kind of feeling that baggage following you around and trying not to let it define you and be your only story
1: yeah I I would say that uh this guy you know talking to us in this moment in his life this is definitely the the only story he has
0: yeah yeah and I and I do like identify with that because I try to make a conscious effort for it not to be my only story you Mm -hmm. know but it's something that I have kind of had to force myself to work on that. It's like, oh, that's, that's just a story. It's not the
1: story. I'm really struck by, uh, this dude, you know, um, he, he wanted to hop in the booth and talk about something really heavy. And, uh, a lot of, I would say everyone that does that for that project is, is usually like processing something.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's still
1: ongoing. It's very, on, it's very much in the middle. <laughs> um, and when I took this confession a year ago, about a year ago, I thought that he sounded much, um, much more on top of everything than I think now listening back. Like, like that
0: you, you, felt a little more resolve from him in the moment. Maybe. Yeah. Like it's more of like, Oh, I, here's who I am now. And this is where, where I got from. And now it's like, yeah, you can really hear that it's still happening. It's
1: very much still happening. And, and you know, he's putting together all these pieces of like, okay, I grew up with a depressed mother. I'm attracted to depressed women mm-hmm. or, or maybe, I mean, to be generous here. Maybe he maps that on to the women that he is in relationships with.
0: Yeah, maybe it is a bit of a... a not wishful in like a hopeful way, but a wishful projection because it's like what he's expecting.
1: Yeah. You know, he even says that. When you say wishful, you mean like not based in reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: It's, it's intense because I think I uh, being a man and being a straight man and being surrounded by men who are a little more emotionally intelligent than maybe, uh, some guys, Mm -hmm. I really give dudes the benefit of the doubt for not being maybe misogynistic or having weird hangups about women. Mm -hmm. Um, And this guy is going through a lot. He has a lot. He's going through a lot right now. But he he has very negative opinions about all women that he discusses in this.
0: Yeah, it's weird because he's also kind of aware of it. Like, he he touches on the fact that it's like, I know that's not how I feel in other parts of my life, or I know that's not how I should feel. But it's like, he can't deny that his instincts still Mm -hmm. kind of present this stereotype that he really feels viscerally and,
1: and we are talking about the two primary relationships female relationships like in his life one with his mother and one with his significant other like mm-hmm. like it's not like it's just random people on the street i'm i'm talking about something really nuanced Intimate. yeah and really really uh um complex but it's just intense you know like it's not uh sensational or it's just... This is just the real grief, you know?
0: Yeah, it's real It's real grief with... I, I, I would say the only sensational bit is the proximity of events. Yeah, you're right. You know, that, yeah. that is not usual. No. That is not a normal circumstance for no. all of that shit to happen to an individual at one time. That's mm-hmm. like... That's the sensational bit. But after that, it's like the bulk of it is just processing and yeah it's a really I think it's a really good inside look at processing because he you know obviously has done a lot of work has been through a lot of therapy is very eloquent knows how to speak about it even knows how to kind of stand outside of it and analyze it even while not necessarily agreeing with his feelings so it is I, I will compliment him in the way that it's just like he is in the process yeah and he is doing the work and like he says he wakes up and he writes every morning and like He, he is an active participant in the process and he's, he's trying to head on the right path, whatever that means, you know?
1: Yeah. And I, and I'm, the timeline is a little hazy for me, but it's now been a minute since he was married. Yeah. And so I really, I really hope for him that he's, uh, he's been able to move on in that part of his life. Yeah. You know, I, I one thought I had and and uh you know, my my father passed away 15 years ago and I was or more than that and I was 20 and it's it's really primary relationship, you know, and it's a parent. You you hang on to that that kind of grief longer.
0: Absolutely. Then
1: you do other kinds of losses, you know. And one one thing I thought a lot about with this man and I had the thought then, but I had it a lot more now we're all shaped by our parents, you know, and then you get to a point in your life where you, you ideally, I think most people arrive here. It's like, they just sort of consciously decides certain things they want to stop emulating of their parents.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's two choices where, you know, it's like your parents are shaping you. It's either, Oh, I'm going to do that just like them or, Oh, I'm definitely not going to do that.
1: And y- <laughs> yeah. And so to hear him talk about you know, the basically growing up with a depressed woman kind of priming him to either be attracted to depressed women, which seems totally like that could be the case as he describes it, or to sort of map that onto women and to recreate that in his mm-hmm. primary relationships. Like it just kind of sounded to me like maybe with that one aspect, like he hadn't got there yet. He hadn't letting go of that kind of grief for his mom. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that for him going back on
0: personal experience a little bit for me similar to you losing my dad really young mm-hmm. it 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 started like not even a new chapter it started like a new book that we didn't even know existed whereas mm-hmm. when you lose your last parent your second parent and you get to close that, that, book? that book a little wow. bit it, it feels a lot different and so now that he has had time to get past his father's death and you know maybe he's gone to that storage unit maybe he's found some things like you don't when you're cleaning out your parents stuff you find out all kinds of things about them on a human level that you could never see when they are your living parent
1: you know but but i think that i think what you're saying is so key like you you can't see it or know it or file it into your idea of who they are when they're alive no it's impossible it's impossible it's absolutely it's just part of the circle of life that has to happen when someone passes away yeah You know, and and you can't get it before, um, which obviously, you know, you know, tenfold what I know of that, but, but it is, it it is, I don't know. I I guess like people say this shit all the time, you know, and I think there's some truth to it. It's like you do date your mother Mm -hmm. or date your father, all that stuff is real. You know, it's like with this guy, it's like, I just, I just really hold out that hope for him. Like that. He aims higher for himself yeah. And I, I'm sure he's gotten somewhere closer to there Because he does seem to have like the tools You know
0: Yeah absolutely And yeah. and he's trying Yeah, You know
1: he has the tools and he's trying mm-hmm. And I would say those are the biggest lessons Yeah fuck This is a lot man <laughs> <laughs> It's totally. really a lot I, If it's felt like Zach and I uh, Rambled on a little longer than we usually do uh, We did And we will be now Forever uh, we're going to put the interviews in another part, part two uh, of this episode, basically because we get these incredible conversations with these artists and we find ourselves kind of trimming them down. Yeah, just to like fit a format, not because the content isn't good. This interview with me is the, the perfect example of why we don't want to trim down these interviews all the time, because... She has so much to say, not just about the confession and about the song that she created, but also about touring, about self-care, about the sense of duty she feels towards her fans, about making her next record. Anyway, you'll hear all about that in part two of this episode.
0: The Song Confessional Podcast is produced by myself, Zach Catanzaro, Walker Lukens, Jim Eno, Aaron Blackerby, Rylan Kettery, Adam
1: Mason, Mike Lee, and brought to you by KUTX. That theme song you heard at the top was written and performed by me and Zach with help from Topaz McGarrickle, who played saxophone. Uh, it was recorded and mixed by Adam Mason.
0: If you like this podcast the very best thing you can do to support us is to send it to a friend to a family member to a teacher to a student to literally anybody in your life that you think might enjoy stories and music if you want to do something else you can uh, give us a like or a subscribe and keep following along